וגם אני פתאום רואה את Welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolel, and it's a great honor and privilege to welcome all of you to our next episode, School Choice and More, with Rabbi Yitz Eric Frank. Um, Rib Yitz, or Eric, or whatever you call him, is a friend who I, uh, I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, because Although he lives in Cleveland, he's in Columbus quite a bit. Um, he does great work lobbying and advocating for the Jewish community uh, really all over Ohio. I mean, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, and uh, he's done a tremendous amount. And we really owe him a tremendous amount of hakaras hatov, a tremendous amount of gratitude for all the work that he's done. But I don't want to tell you all the work because you're going to hear it in the interview. And it's uh, it's really something special. Uh you know, as the summer has uh, has approached and uh, we're, you know, we're going on break soon. So you might we might have a little bit of a pause in episodes. And being that this might be the last one for a few weeks or so, I thought that I would take a minute or two in this introduction to share with you some of the highlights that I have taken away. Because, you know, I'm, I hope that all of you have enjoyed these episodes. But I have to say from my uh, from my standpoint it's been an it's been a tremendous learning experience for me as well. I've learned a lot. I've gained a lot. Um, so thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm sure you've learned something, but and and I would always love to hear some of your feedback. You could always send me some of your colot highlights. Um, but I'm going to share with you my top ten. And this doesn't mean that the ones that I didn't you know mention were not um, were not something that you know. Were, you know, was, insp- was not inspiring or anything like that, but you know, you can't go through everything. And I thought I would just cap it at 10 and we'll go through them quickly. But the, and you could always go back and listen to what I'm referencing. And I'm going to start off with Sivan Rahav Meir. You may remember she is an Israeli TV anchor. She grew up totally secular. She like when the first time she met someone Orthodox, someone Shomer Shabbat, Shabbat observant, she didn't even know like, what they existed like i heard about these people i don't really know these people and she was fascinated by that and she interviewed someone and in the middle of that interview the the person she was talking to said okay stop 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 these questions are you know quite ridiculous um no offense but how about you come to us for a shabbos and you'll see what it's all about and that's what happened and that was sivan's uh that was the beginning of her journey, getting closer to Judaism, and now today she and uh, her husband Yedidya have a beautiful family, and she's teaching Torah, and her husband is a is a tremendous Torah scholar, and uh, just an incredible story about her curiosity leading her to search deeper, and it came from just an interview. So it was an unpredictable interview. And that was the, that's what we decided to entitle that episode, an unpredictable interview with Sivan Rahav Meir. Um, that's my first one. My second highlight was, um, is with Rabbi Aaron Cutler, president emeritus of Beth Medrash Kavoa, the largest kolel in yeshiva in the country, 7,000 students. And that was really the movement that his grandfather started. And when I asked Rabbi Aaron, uh, what his grandfather saw in America, what was something that he, you know, what was it, what was it that he did? You know, what did he start? What did he create that allowed him to 
to start this cola movement that you know we're fortunate to uh, be a part of here in Columbus, but really all over the world, you have colas, cola lim in many cities, and in many cities there are multiple ones. And he said, "My grandfather didn't do anything new." He said, my grandfather restored Torah to where it belongs, the hearts and souls of the Jewish people. Because in the beginning, after World War II, people came to America, and unfortunately, Torah by some, not by all, but by some, it was lost. And they thought that we could be Jewish by celebrating great big hospitals and centers and um, you know, it's about the glorious synagogues. And while all of those things are important, and we, we, we don't mean to diminish them at all, but Torah's got to be in the center of everything. And that's what he brought. He brought back Torah to where it belongs. He didn't start anything new. Um, and I, I thought that was fascinating. Um, that was the, the episode was entitled The Real Liquid Story. He also talks about his father, Rup Schneer Cutler, and the amount of chesed, the amount of kindness that he and his uh, his father and mother, you know, what's that, what what went out or went on in that house? It's quite fascinating. You'll hear a story if you take a listen. Um, you'll listen to that one. You'll hear some stories that will really really shock you. Um, our next episode that that's my second highlight. So my third highlight is how do we not mention Rabbi YY Jacobson? He said a lot of things. I remember that interview. I wrote 10 questions that I wanted to ask him and after my fifth question, I looked at the time. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this interview is over an hour already. We only got through, you know, five or so of the questions." Um he said a lot. Um there was a tremendous amount, but one thing that sticks out in my mind, probably the from all the things that he said and there were a lot of amazing things, but he talked about machlokas when, and, and, you know, we're approaching the three weeks and that's a time where we try to remember why we're in the three weeks and why we're going to have the nine days Tisha B'Av, Mashiach come before then. But why are we in this? And it's because of machlokas, because of sinas chinam, baseless hatred and fighting. And he said that when he sees people fighting, he sometimes wants to tell them, you're really not fighting. Your traumas are fighting. There's something deep going on inside that's resurfacing, that's coming out. And what that means to say is that maybe when something bothers us, pause. Maybe don't make it about the person who's talking about us. Maybe we should reflect inwards and think about why is this bothering me? Are they triggering something? Is there something else going on? I thought that was a fascinating concept. That's our third highlight. Our fourth highlight, David Heller. Uh, that episode I did with Steven Stiglitz. It was a great episode. Um, I think the name of it was Starting Small and Getting Big. And he said a lot of great things about giving back, charity, etc. But the one thing that sticks out in my mind, which makes this our fourth highlight, is how he got to where he is religiously. You know, he, he grew up, you know, more secular, and he took it upon himself to say Moda Ani, which is the prayer that we say every morning when we get up. Moda Ani Lefanecha Melechai Vekayim. We thank Hashem, uh, who is the King, Shehechazarta Binishmasi, returned our soul, etc. And he started with that, and then he took on something else, and then he took on something else, and slowly but surely, over many years, each year taking on something, today he's learning. 
the Talmud daily. He's doing a full page a day, not not a double-sided page, not a daf a day, but an amud a day. He's learning a Talmud every single day, and he has a chavrusa in the Tel's yeshiva in Cleveland or in Wycliffe, Ohio, technically. And I thought that was an amazing story of starting small and getting big and one step at a time and playing the long game. So that's our fourth highlight. Our fifth highlight with Howard Svee Freeman, a great interview that I was privileged to do with a local talent, of, uh, an individual, very talented individual, uh, Howie Bagelman. And we discussed many things with Howard Svee Friedman. He's the president, um, he's the board chair of Beth Madrish Gavoa. That was uh, something interesting uh, that uh, we learned in this process. And also past president of APAC. And he talked about his relationship with President Obama and how President Obama wanted to do a fundraiser in his house Friday afternoon for the senator in Maryland who was running at the time. And the White House team, the team, the administration, they they wanted to do it somewhere in the five o'clock range. And Shabbos was at six and uh, and or something like that. And Howard Svi said, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I can't, I can't accommodate. Can you ask the president if he could come an hour earlier? And the team was shocked. They're like, what? Excuse me. Everyone else changes their schedule to accommodate the president. And you're asking the president to change his plans to accommodate your schedule. And he said, no, 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 no. My schedule was, was, uh, was made a long, long time ago. And it's nothing that I could do. And when they relayed this over to the president, he said, oh, Howard Svi, of course, he's Shabbat observant. We'll make it work for him. We'll come an hour earlier. And wow, what happens when someone sticks to their, sticks to, you know, to your goals and your, and your values and what's important to you and people ultimately will respect that. So that's our fifth highlight. Our sixth highlight was Rav Herschel Schechter, um, who's the Rosh Yeshiva of uh, Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elchanan, Yeshiva University in Ritz. And, there was a lot that we covered. I did this episode together with Rabbi Ari Newman, associate rabbi of the Main Street Synagogue. And uh, there was a lot of things that we discussed that was fascinating. One of which, which is something that's being discussed right now, is the halachic take on abortion. And, you know, it's really not as black and white as many would think. There are, are times where halacha mandates an abortion if it endangers the mother's life. Of course, always ask your competent halachist, posek, known as. Um, and there are times where it is completely forbidden, um, according to everyone. And then there are t- the, and then there's the gray. And there's really a major machlokas between Rav Moshe Feinstein and the Tzitz Eliezer. We don't really have time to go into all of it right now. But Rav Moshe Feinstein was very against halachically. He was he felt it was avak ritzicha. It was the dust of murder, so to speak. And and he said over a great story that I, I, I thought was very moving. And I'm going to share it with you in our sixth Kolot highlight. And that was the story of a doctor asking Shlomo Zalman about a patient or about some, a, a woman that he knows that this woman went through a lot. It took her forever to get married. And then once she was married, she had there were a lot of infertility challenges. Uh, and it took her forever to have a child. And then she was pregnant and... There was it was clear that this was going to be a very very sick child and she didn't know what to do. She went to this doctor and this doctor said, "I'm going to ask Harav Shlomo Zalman Arbach Zatzal what you know what should they do because to have this sick child after all the pain and and stresses she was went that she went through would be potentially very damaging to her uh, mental health." And the doctor asked Shlomo Zalman and Shlomo Zalman said. 
you know what I hold, because Shlomo Zaman held like Ramesha Feinstein, that it's prohibited. And the doctor said, yes, but listen, this is what the woman went through. It was this and this and this and this. And Shlomo Zaman said, I mean, again, you know what I hold. And the doctor said to Shlomo Zaman, can you, can you think about it overnight and I'll come back to you tomorrow? And Shlomo Zaman said, there's not much to think about, but okay, if you want to come back tomorrow, you could come back tomorrow. The doctor comes back tomorrow and Rav Shlomo Zaman says, there's another posik, the name that's named that's Sitzeliezer. This woman that you're asking for, she's not a Talmud, of, she's not a student of mine. She's not obligated to follow my psak. She could follow the psak of the, she could go ask the Tzitzeliezer. She's not mechoyev, she's not obligated to listen to me. And I couldn't believe when I heard this story because, listen, Rav Shlomo Zaman holds so strong, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, who holds so strong that it's Ritzicha, yet they appreciated someone who disagreed with them because they understood that it was a machlokas l'shem shemayim. They weren't arguing about who's right and who's wrong. They were arguing about what is the MS, what is the Ratzon Hashem, what is the truth, what is the Torah mandate. It's not personal at all. And I found that to be a fascinating lesson. So that's our sixth highlight from Rav Herschel Schechter. And our seventh highlight, this was a fun interview, The Gift of ADHD with David Becker, um, LCSW. And it was fascinating how he said ADHD is awesomeness. It's fun. It's creativity. But it also has its challenges. Um, If someone can manage those challenges, and that could be a lot of work, but they'll be able to thrive and, and think of ideas that no one else will think of. And that's why you'll see many successful people who may clinically uh, be, you know, ha- have attention deficit disorder. But nevertheless, it comes with an upside. And I thought that was fascinating because Hashem gives everyone, and this is something that we always need to remind my, ourselves, I definitely need to remind myself, Hashem gives everyone challenges that are meant for them. And they're not meant to hurt us. They're meant to help us. And this is a challenge that everyone uses for the negative. Oh, I can't focus my ADD. I can't do anything. My ADD is in the way. You're talking way too long. People like me with ADD can't listen to speeches this long, right? We always use it in the negative. But he was telling us that, no, there's also a positive sign. Remember, Hashem gives everyone what they need, and it comes with its blessings if we tap into it. And that's our seventh highlight. Our eighth highlight was with Harav Aaron Lapiansky Shlita, the Rosh Hashiva from Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, we entitled that a Ben Torah for Life. Uh, that was the book that he wrote, and we discussed a lot about person just living their life with Torah. But I first asked him in the beginning of the interview about his father, Riv Ben Sion Lapiansky, and his shver, Rav Finkel, his father-in-law. And his, fa- and his father, Riv Ben Sion, was a tremendous Torah scholar, a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And I asked him about what it was like to grow up in that home. And he said, my father you know, was a survivor of the war, but our home was just such a happy home to the extent that when people talked about you know, children of survivors having it hard, I, I, he said, I never really understood what they meant because we had such a happy home. And his father had an interesting take on the Holocaust. He said a story that was shocking um, about his father asking one of the Nazi guards that he thought was maybe a little more human than the others. And the Nazi guard, the Nazi guard said, um, he asked the Nazi guard, you know, how is it that you do this to all of us? How do you do this to the Jews? And the Nazi guard 
said back, what do you mean, how do we do this to you? You guys started this war. That's what the guard said back. And Rivaran said, my father says that he believed that's what, that's how he felt, that he felt that was truth. And he realized that in the greater picture, life is good. They survived it. And today, the you know, the Jews are flourishing with yeshivas and kolos and Jewish schools and everything that we have going on and all the chesed and mitzvahs. Of course, we're in Gaulus. Of course, we need to get back. But we survived. And life in the bigger picture is tov. Life in the bigger picture is good. And yet, and still, and despite all the things that his father went through, he had a happy home. And Ravaran said, if you want to have your children have a head start in any area and every area, have a happy home. And I thought that was a great takeaway, a great highlight. That's our eighth highlight. And our ninth highlight was Sipalea Scheinberg. That was uh, Trauma and Triumph, I think 2.0. We did a couple of them. And, of course, all of the episodes, again, I know I said this before. I'll say it again. All the episodes have highlights. We're just picking the top ten that came to mind. But she said something at, towards the end of the interview about the attachment theory about parents, and this is very, this is a nice follow up to Ravarn Lapiansky's, uh, you know, highlight we took from there. But the attachment theory about parents connecting with their children and the early development of, of of the child, letting them know that I love you, I'm here for you, I'm going to do my best to make you successful. The the sky has no limits to how much we care for you, but you have limits. There are things that you could do, and there are, th- there are things that are which are unacceptable. And she brought the example of Yosef um, with Ashes Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, that tried to corner him. And it, he, they were alone, and she wanted to be with him intimately, and Yosef had his father come to him. And that ultimately helped Yosef pass the test. And now he's known as Yosef Hatzadik, Yosef Joseph the Righteous One. And, that, and that's attachment. He had his father in him. He had his father's vision in him and shows what happens when children feel their parents' um, deep love and care. And of course, the love is unconditional, but there are things which are right and there are things which are wrong and both could be true. And our final our final one was the last episode we did with Slovy Young Grace Wolf. I mean, she said a lot of things. I mean... Her, talking about her mother towards the end of the episode, that should really be the highlight, and th- and that is a highlight. Um, but I picked up another highlight of mine, and and that is what what do we say? Because we know that in observant Judaism, there are things that men do, and there are things that women do. And sometimes she she said she gets questions all the time about um, from women, why can't I do this mitzvah that men are doing? And it goes the other way too. Men sometimes ask her um, when they're learning about Judaism. Why can't I be the one in the house that lights the candles on Friday night? And she says, the answer is because it's not your mitzvah. Hashem created men with their mitzvos, and Hashem created women with their mitzvos. And each one is a superstar. Each one brings something different and special. And she said, if you look in the Torah, that's why perhaps there's no word for fair in the Torah or equal. There's MS, what's true. There's tzedek, which is righteous. And our loving Father in heaven knows what's best for his children. That's us. And for some, he gives us this. And for others, he gives us that. Just like us, just like parents will 
give one child something which is the best for that child and they wouldn't give it to the other child not because they don't want to because it's not right for them and there might be something that they give to that other child that they won't give to the original to the first because it's not about being fair it's not about being equal it's about ms what's the truth what's the best thing what's ascetic what's just what's righteous What's the right thing? What does the Torah tell us? So she says, always through Das Torah, always through the lens of Torah. And if we don't know, we have to ask those who know the Torah well. So these were my uh, 10 highlights from Kolot. I thank you for bearing with me with this longer introduction. I just thought as we maybe go on a little bit of a hiatus, we should just maybe recap a little bit of what we've learned. I've learned a lot. I'm sure you've learned a lot. I um, want to thank all of you, our listeners, and also our, our media sponsor, Columbus Jewish News. Um, and now, without any further ado, we have another episode to bring to you with Rabbi Yitz Frank. So allow me to tell you about our guest. <laughs> Rabbi Eric Yitz Frank serves as the executive director of Agudath Israel of Ohio since 2013 and as president of School Choice Ohio. In that capacity, he is engaged in multiple projects to educate community organizations about various governmental programming, funding opportunities, and serves as a liaison to the Ohio Department of Education on behalf of Jewish Day Schools. Rabbi Frank was previously appointed by the Ohio Senate to serve on the Non-Public School Graduation Requirements Advisory Committee and is a member of Governor DeWine's School Safety Working Group. Rabbi Yitz, Eric Frank, welcome. Thank you so much for joining Kolot. Rabbi Kavenstein, thanks for having me. This is, I think, the first time in my life that I've been introduced to music. Uh, so uh, uh, I appreciate you having me on. Of course, that's our pleasure, and that's what we do on on Kolot, pun intended. So um, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, your upbringing, who made you what you are today? Uh, well, uh, I am, I've been living in Cleveland with my family since 2010. Um, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where a lot of my family's um, and, um, you know, I think that, you know, your generous introduction, uh, probably covers, uh, whatever there is to know about me, probably a little too much. Um, but I've been involved in advocacy, working for a good Israel and, um, in Ohio since 2013. Um, mostly that entails a lot of lobbying, but includes other issues dealing with, uh, constituent services, helping individual families, um, interact with government um, institutions, uh, making sure that uh, community institutions are safe, secure, properly funded by uh, whatever appropriate um, uh, measures that exist within our government policy. Uh, we work and uh, spend a lot of time working on uh, expanding school choice, not just within Ohio, as many of your listeners probably know, um, uh, which is really crucial. There's about 3,000 students in our Jewish day schools in Ohio that are able to attend the school of their choice because of our work um, and our allies work on the Ed Choice Scholarship Program and our special needs scholarships programs in Ohio. And 
Certainly we engage in that or in, in other states as well, although my primary responsibility uh, is here in the Buckeye State. In the Buckeye State. Thank you for making sure to say that. <laughs> um, we do have Ed Choice on my list of questions, so we're going to get we're going to dive deep on that uh, shortly. But in the meantime, can you talk to us a little bit about the relationships that you have with local government officials and how did you foster those relationships? Well, uh, you know, you know, in the I guess in my line of work, there's uh, we engage with governments and three or four different levels. So one is local, like really local, right? Your local city council member, uh, your local school district uh, board members. Uh, those are really important level, uh, levels of government. They uh, have enormous influence over uh, zoning issues and all kinds of other really important quality of life issues that um, really affect everybody. Um, but as a religious community, uh, sometimes we have different needs um, than others, and it's our job to make sure that those needs are addressed and heard um, and represented. Uh, you know, then you have a county level government in Ohio, which also has a very, very important role in, in uh, different aspects. Uh, uh, law enforcement comes to mind and, and, and other areas. Um, and then most of my work, though, takes place at the state house, which involves engaging with the governor and his administration. But uh, very importantly, with the Ohio, all 33 members of the Ohio Senate and uh, all 99 members of the Ohio House of Representatives. Um, and that's really where I spend most of my time. Obviously, we do engage with our federal officials, both U.S. senators um, and our uh, now 15. Well, currently we still have 16 members of Congress, but we'll have 15 come uh, this January. Um, and, you know, there is an aspect of um, support work, I would say, that I do for our national office based in Washington, D.C., um, uh, where I will engage with our congressional delegation on issues um, as directed there. And, um, you know, uh, in terms of relationships, there's a there's obviously a lot that goes into that. It's not different than any other line of work where you always have to build relationships with uh, potential partners and, um, and um, interested parties. Um, but I think that by and large, right, at my work representing a community, I think that most of our elected officials, they're there for the right reasons. They want to make Ohio a better state. They want to make sure that they're representing everybody that lives uh, in their district and outside of their district. Um, and um, it's it's our job to build those relationships with them and then convey to them where our community stands or would be affected um, by different issues. Um, and, and, you know, again, like I said, most most elected officials, they want to hear that. Right. That's why they're there. Mm -hmm. That's not true for everybody, but most of them are like that. So um, and, you know, fortunately, we've had a degree of success. But this is the type of uh, work, especially in Ohio, where there are term limits that you always have to be building relationships, um, you know, um, and um, uh, but it's a big to be part of that. Um, there's fun parts and aggravating parts of the job, but mostly it's just rewarding. Right. So there's. You know, we were able to impact thousands and thousands of families and dozens of community institutions every single year. Um, and that's really important to the strength and, and vitality of the communities um, in uh, in Ohio, right? Predominantly Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati, although there are others as well. And those communities are, um, I think, growing and local leaders there are working to make sure they continue to grow and thrive. Um, and I'm, I'm proud to be a partner with many of them. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And it could be, and I like what you say, it's very rewarding. On an early episode, we had Johnny Diamond uh, on an episode entitled Humorous Business, and he talked about how a relationship with someone that he just stuck with was eventually turned to her going on a trip to Israel, which then turns into uh, how she voted on something. So, yeah, it could be very rewarding. How many of these 99 uh, House members and state senators know who you are? Um, I don't know the answer to that. First of all, I did listen to that episode of Johnny Diamond, uh, and it was it was really good. Um, but um, so on the Senate, I probably have a relationship of varying degrees, right? It's hard to get to know all those people really, really well. Um, with with certainly a majority, maybe 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 somewhat north of that, um, the House I would say just because there are ninety nine of them, it's less than that, you know. But but certainly dozens. Um, and uh, again, you know, um, our 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 legislators in Ohio, for the most part, right, they want to meet new people, and they want to engage. Um, and as long as you're able to provide them with value, with in other words, with an additional perspective. Um, and um, and your relationship is built on trust, not just in an outcome that you want, that you're trying to get them to give you. Um, uh, you know, that's really the most important part of that work. Um, and I, you know, certainly um, uh, professionals would tell you that, but also lay leaders in our community that have relationships with um, elected officials. Um, I, I, I work with many of them and, and sometimes they're not my relationships. They're, you know, uh, you know, Rabbi Kappenstein's like, hey, I, I know the state senator. Let's what should we talk to him about? And right, and that's right, that's right, part right. of our work. Michael Rooley. Michael Rooley right. is a good example, right? Um, it's not a one-man show, right? It's a group effort. I, I obviously I have the bulk of the responsibility to translate those relationships into action. Um, but it's not uh is this is not a Yitz Frank operation. Yeah, that's so. for sure. Okay, so we're done with my softballs. Here comes some I don't know. I don't want to say fastballs, but here comes some some tougher questions. So, um, you say that there the majority, not all, but the majority of them are there for the right reason to improve, to make Ohio a better state. So, I'm going to quote to you. I presume you know this Mishnah, and you might know now where I'm going with this. But the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, it's in Chapter Two, Ethics of Our Fathers. Um, it is the third Mishnah, at least the way it's formulated in this sitter. Heavy Zahirin Bershus Sha'in I'll read in Hebrew and translate. Sha'in Mikarvin Lola Adam Elulitzarh Atzman, Nir in Koahavin Bishas Hanasan, Vein Omdin Lola Adam Bishas Chako. Be aware of the government of rulers, for they befriend someone only for their own benefit. They act friendly when it benefits them, but they do not stand by someone in his time of need. How do you understand this Mishnah, but also, on the other hand, see people that you think are there for the right reason? Um, so let me give you like a three-part answer. Um, oh, first of all, keep in mind, you know, we are Orthodox Jews. Uh, we believe, um, um, generally speaking, that our work, whether it is at our job, whether it is in advocacy for the community or for some other interest, at the end of the day, our job is to do our ishtadlis, right? And this question that you're asking, I've heard for, um, posed to multiple gedalim. Um, There's only one, I'll, I'll, I'll say this over in a minute, that I have on top of my mind. But generally, the answer to that is that the Mishnah says what it says. And of course, it is true. But that doesn't mean that 
normal hishtadlis should not be done. And the Mishnah is a warning sign to tell you that, like, be careful about these things. Don't assume. Um, don't get too comfortable. Don't get too cozy. But that's not an excuse for us to not go and represent Klai Yisrael's needs or an individual member of Klai Yisrael's needs when they need it. That's one thing. The other one that I I was thought you I thought when you started talking about Avis, I thought you're going to talk about the Mishnah of Altaskaver Larashas, right? Oh, that was my next question. No, just right, kidding, but yeah. <laughs> so right, which means don't be too friendly with the government. And this is a question. Um, yeah. I'm going to try and I'm going to say it over the way I remember it said from me. But I know that this question was asked by um, other um, Agudas Israel state directors, government affairs. Uh, personnel to Rav Chaim Levin Zatzal, the the late Rosh Hashiva in uh, Tel Chicago, and the leader, really the 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 the, the, the not just a member of the Matzah Skudaya but certainly the leader um, of the uh, operations of a good Israel, certainly in Illinois, but really throughout the Midwest and beyond. And uh, this question was posed to him, like, "How do we do this?" And he said that. You're not your job's not to be their friend. That's not the job. Now, I'm not saying that you can't end up developing relationships, even ones that you would consider to be um, one of friendship with individual members. But that's not the job, and that's not what you're tr- trying to do. Um, that's how I recall it, and so it's not a contradiction, um, and 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 certainly um, not an excuse to not do what is um, a normal. Um, form of advocacy on behalf of our community um, that really has been done in the United States and frankly in Europe for hundreds of years in various forms. So, right, we have a Messiah on this issue. Mm-hmm. We're not making this up in 2022. Right. Did you have a third point before I asked my question? I don't remember. Go ahead. When it comes back to you. Um, so, going on trips with these elected officials to Israel and spending this uh, the, you know, bonding time, um, whether it's hiking with them or a, a lot of other things that you know may go into this line of work, is that being their friend? Is that just being friendly so you could do your advocacy? Um, I think that in any kind of relationship, however you want to classify it, right, there's always value in getting to know another person better, right? And so... I'm not saying that what you just described is the only way to do that. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's important to build relationships with people that you that are are important to your work. Right. And and sure. uh, and that's not limited to this role. Right. That's the case everywhere. Right. Um, when we're at Captain when you are encouraging members of our community to come into the Kolo to learn to attend a shear, to come to davening, maybe to co- contribute right, financially to the success of the kolel, right? Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's really important that you build a relationship with that person and they like, you know what, I really like this guy and I think I'm interested in seeing what he has to offer, right? And I think that's true all over the place, right? Absolutely. We'll move on to our next segment, which is a little lighter, and that is school choice. Um, you've been very involved with that. Um, I've seen a lot of videos. I think you were recently interviewed about uh, a Supreme Court case in Maine. Is that right? So talk to us a little bit about that case. And if you could also, um, part two of my question is, if you could talk to 
our listeners here in Columbus, but also we have listeners, thank God, in a dozen countries around the world. What is some of the things that Yitz Frank has done to promote school choice? Well, so I think that this, there's actually two Supreme Court cases. I was interviewed on Zev Brenner, um, right. it was last week, on a Supreme Court case called Carson v. Macon. And um, uh, time is actually running a little short for me right now, but um, I'll try and summarize it very quickly which is um, the, the, there's been an open question in the, in, the, in the country about to what degree the First Amendment, the free exercise clause that guarantees the freedom of religion um, to, uh, to people of faith in the country, to what degree, how does that play against also the other part of the First Amendment, which is called the Establishment Clause, which prohibits the United States from establishing um, a religion, or there's a degree of controversy about what that means. And essentially, what this said, what, what this case said, is that the government, when it is providing something that is otherwise neutral, say, for example, a grant, a historic preservation tax credit, um, a, uh, a school choice program, the government cannot say that religious institutions can't participate in that because they're religious or teaching something that's infused with religion. The fact that they are being excluded is in fact discrimination against religion. And that is, um, and that violates the first amendment. So this is a ruling that we've been trying to get for a long time and it could have very, very broad ramifications. Um, I would um, just because he's literally the expert on this issue and has represented a good assistant before the Supreme court on this issue there is a podcast or YouTube video or something, Vimeo, I don't know what it is, that Rabbi A.D. Mutson did with sure. the noted constitutional um, scholar, uh, Nat Lewin, an attorney. I would encourage everyone to read that. There was another very interesting case, which I think Nat, in his brief tour to the Supreme Court on that case, was trying to get them to overturn another standard that impacted religious institutions or government support for secular um for secular activities in religious institutions called the Lemon Case, a Supreme Court decision that was released literally four or five days after that in a case called Kennedy, which dealt with a coach that was praying after a football game. It's a little bit, it was a controversial case about uh, prayer in public schools and so on and so forth. But the court actually, in that case, did what uh, Professor Lewin, Nat Lewin, asked them to do multiple times, including, I believe, in uh, this case, Carson Macon. It did, in fact, um, overturn this lemon case. I'd encourage everyone to listen to that. I think there's a seven and a half minute clip and then a broad, longer 40 minute interview. Um, so that has broad imp- implications. We've been fighting for a long time to make sure religious communities and and and, and families that um, are part of religious communities have access to uh, education that fits their values. That's why one of the reasons why we work so hard on school choice um, in Ohio and other places, obviously in Ohio, we've had a degree of success in that. We have been able to continuously expand school choice um, uh, to more families every single year. Uh, for, uh, last year, we were able to increase the amount of dollars that go to families receiving those scholarships so that they can afford um, a, a great education in the school of their choice. Um, and, you know, we're going to keep doing that. And, you know, we, we really see a strong future to continue to increase there. We've had a Governor DeWine has been very supportive. We have uh, very strong leadership uh, in the General Assembly, and uh, I think we will 
I think there, I think there's a good chance we're going to see more good news on that front in the future. But these Supreme Court cases create the the possibility um, to do that in other states as well. Again, I don't see those cases having a lot of impact on Ohio for a variety of different reasons. We can do that in another podcast. Um, but um, but all in all, good news for the Jews, in my good opinion. News for the Jews. Well, Rabbi Yitz, Eric Frank, you've been very generous with our t- uh, with your time. And we appreciate that. And I'm going to say on our behalf and on behalf of the entire Columbus community, Columbus Torah Academy, the entire Ohio, we owe you a tremendous amount of gratitude for all the lobbying, all the trips that you take, uh, all the drives that you have to do to get down here in Columbus and lobby on our behalf. You have a lot of schism coming to you and may Hashem bench you and your entire organization with more and more success and every single thing that you're advocating for, for Orthodox Jews to live a free and healthy life. Thank you for having me. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.